The reason people aren't financially free is they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start. I want you to join Joey and I at the Virtual Inner Circle Live April the 4th through the 6th as we share with you the exact answers to those questions. We only do this event one time per year. I don't want you to miss out. Go to wealthwatchwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter promo code podcast. When you're at this event, you're going to get your investor DNA. You're going to get access to up to six different passive income strategies. So you know, leaving this event exactly what to do, taking our decades of knowledge so that you can start becoming financially free. Go to wealthwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter the promo code podcast. Are you currently on the cusp of making a huge decision to make the leap into being an entrepreneur, but you're just not super confident that your idea is going to be the right idea? Today's guest, Aaron Shoemaker, amazing entrepreneur who has had an incredible exit in the last several years, talks about the steps he takes to not fully make this foolproof, but the steps he took to make sure that his idea was in front of the right advisors. Now, what's important about that is that you have the opportunity to be in the room with those advisors just by joining one of our masterminds. And I want to call you to action right now. If you haven't already done it, go and apply right now to thepassiveincomemastermind.com. Go there and join the other advisors so you can put your ideas in front of them and get the confidence that you're looking for. Joey, you're so right. I love this interview. One, because we've gotten a chance to know Aaron for the last couple of years because he is in the Passive Income Mastermind and he does share those insights of building a business from scratch out of his garage with two of his buddies, people that he's still friends with to today, to over $100 million before he exited. And he's going to talk about a lot of uh, fun uh, things that happened early on in his entrepreneurial journey. And I want you to listen to all of those right now. Let's jump in with Aaron Shoemaker. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Wealth Without Wall Street Tribe, so excited to introduce to you Passive Income Mastermind member, Mr. Aaron Shoemaker in the house. Aaron, so glad to have you in. Great to have you, Joey and Russ. Always a pleasure. Aaron, people get their starts into entrepreneurship from different areas. Yours was being a volunteer at your college credit union. And there was a specific event that you mentioned to me a second ago that I, I would like to start off with, because I, I think this is where everybody needs to learn that business is not always rainbows and unicorns. Sometimes they end up being hundred unicorns. If you get my drift there. Oh, seriously, we're going there again. <laughs> there was a, a specific time where the line got extra long for the ATM. Let's start there. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so this one time at, at college camp, uh, I I ran a <laughs> a credit union, had like 15 million in customer deposits, um, and we were I was like 21 years old, and was going to the cafeteria, and all of a sudden realized 
this was actually the CEO at the time. I think I was a sophomore. I was a CFO of this place. So the line was like out the door and it wasn't for the cafeteria. It was for, it was for the cash, the cash machine. And the, the CEO was like, uh, Hey, what, what's going on? Is there something wrong? And, and whoever was in line in front of him was like, yeah, yeah, the, the machine's giving out twenties instead of five. So if you, if you request like a hundred bucks, you know, you'll, you'll get like four times that. So I was like, Oh man. Oh, Oh God. <laughs> so yeah. So there, there was that one time in college where I was responsible for a, an ATM and uh, it was accidentally giving you four times the amount uh, that you asked for. Hopefully, hopefully the ATM funds that you guys are responsible for do the opposite. That's a heck of a return right there, guys. That, that is definitely return on investment. I, I'm sure not everybody got to keep all of that money. There's probably a lot of uh, issues that went into that. But that's pretty interesting that you were running, co-running a bank and you're 21, 22 years old. Is that normal for uh, college campuses to have uh, volunteers running banks? There are a couple of them across the country, but this one, this one's Georgetown Student Credit Union. You, you start out as a teller. You work your way all the way up to being CEO your senior year, run entirely by undergraduate students. And it was really how I got my, my um, foray into entrepreneurship. It was kind of by accident. So the, you know, the first, first week of freshman year, I saw all these yellow flyers that were littered across campus and you guys will appreciate this. They were, you pick up one of these yellow flyers and on it is your ticket to wall street. Uh, no, that's a very dirty word in, in this, uh, in this game, but ouch, ouch, my ears. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Keep going. I, I know. Sorry. So anyway, you, you could, you could take this yellow ticket, you know, go, go to this credit union and they were placing interns at, you know, they were also placing them at management consulting firms like McKinsey and Bain. And you know, they'd place people at Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and, and all those. But once I got there, I realized, oh man, this is like a real business. And they're, they're like, you know, no adults here, except for the the senior that kind of, you know, he kind of looks like a boss. This is kind of cool. So, so I ended up spending like 25, 35 hours a week there. Um, most of my, my best friends came from this place and you were running legitimately an entire bank. And the number one person in the company is, is a CEO who, you know, was a junior that rotate every March. So you'd go from March to March. Uh, junior or senior, and they're responsible for 15 million of customer deposits. You know, it's like a three or $4 million loan portfolio, check cards, debit cards, employees, all the issues you'd get in a real business we were getting as, as college students. And it was, it was both a, you know, something I fell in love with, like breaking things and then trying to put them together, you know, back together a little bit better than when, when you found them, but just really loved the process of, you know, I didn't know what being an entrepreneur was, didn't know what the word entrepreneur meant, but you know, running a business and figuring stuff out um, is is kind of the heart of it. So, Aaron, you do have a background like in your family of entrepreneurs, or was this your literally your first uh, first kind of taste of that? Yeah, this is my. I mean, I my dad is a dentist, so he he runs a dental practice. Um, I guess you could call that an entrepreneur. Uh, my mom is a lawyer, so she's definitely not an entrepreneur. It's kind of forging my own path. Is it hard to get into that? Like, it just seems like that's a lot of responsibility. And looking back when I was getting into college and there was a lot of things on my mind and being responsible was not on that list. How hard was it to be a volunteer at this bank? 
I think this, you know, this might have been a year or two after I left, but the it was a pretty coveted position. The the acceptance rate at Georgetown is not, you know, it's not super high, but the the acceptance rate at the credit union was actually lower than the acceptance rate at Georgetown. You'd have to apply, you know, I think they were taking mostly freshmen. Um, you know, title credit union probably came out and I, I think they had to start taking sophomores and juniors, but um no, they had to you said title had, credit union. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's uh I don't know that that term ever came out, but that's kind of what I always thought thought of it as, you know, treating the 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 upperclassmen fairly uh was the you know the way it came out, but you know, nonetheless, yeah, you'd have like 7 7 6 or 7% of of people would apply uh would be accepted that applied to become a teller, you know, like changing your your 20s for fives, like repinning your debit card, you know, completing the loan application. Like the loan application was later on stuff, but that was, yeah, it's, that's all where, where it started. Now that, that also led you to working for another pretty major bank. And we don't need to go details there because we don't like to talk about those sort of things. But when you're at that bank, you and your friends started thinking about other entrepreneurial ideas. I'd love to talk about how did you land on your final one? What was it? And we'll kind of talk about the trajectory from there. Yeah, for sure. So I ended up starting with two, two co-founders. Um, one of my co-founders I would meet during this process and my other co-founder, you know, got to know through this credit union um, and that bank I was working for, which um, shall may or may not be called Goldman Sachs. Uh, I did work for, for a little while. It did exist. It was on wall street. And, you know, apparently I can't talk about anything beyond that on this podcast, but my, um, we're working super long hours, but it was just a great, great ground to see other businesses, to have a lens into how, you know, what other businesses existed. So, you know, unintentionally, you just learn a lot about, you know, all sorts of different businesses. So my co-founder and I would spend the hours we didn't have on nights and weekends. We really also didn't have, and we were just bouncing off each other different business ideas. And one of them started as a, you know, like a, there's this company called Cosmo.com. That was the first business idea. So we, we took this trip on the 4th of July that we both happened to have off up to Boston and we're doing diligence about, we could set up this new, you know, this new company that's like, you know, delivers stuff to people in like an hour. And, and then once we realized we had a, it's going to be like 50 or 60 grand for a really big fridge, like, oh shoot. Don't, don't have the cash. So that one's not going to work out, but we were just coming up with different business ideas. And, uh, one of them ended up being for a home security company. And this was after probably, I would say 15 or 20 of them, you know, almost all of them were probably pretty dumb. Uh, like we were, we were almost going to literally quit our, our hard, hard fought and hard earned jobs to go become Jiffy Lube oil change techs. Cause one of the, the things that we were going to start was a, you know, this massive franchise of, uh, I think it was going to be not Jiffy Lubes. You know, maybe it was like Aaron Lubes or something. Um, <laughs> Peter Pan <laughs> Lubes. Shoemaker Lube. Yeah. yeah shoe Lubes. Um, but uh, yeah, fortunately my mom was like, you know, do you really want to be the Lube man? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I said no to that. <laughs> Uh, she she made me fortunately really think <laughs> think twice and reconsider that one. Uh, but we ultimately ended up writing a business plan for this this company that would become Frontpoint. It was very different than a lot of the 
home security and home alarm system companies that were out there. Um, and, you know, really just was an idea that started with coming back from a diligence trip and seeing, you know, this is what an alarm company looked like. And our minds would always go to be what could exist that doesn't. And what, what's a, a little, a little spin on this that would be a little different, you know, making things a little bit better. Uh, and that, that spark ultimately led to writing a business plan and then ultimately quitting our jobs to go throw caution to the wind and, and start this thing. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system? Stallion, that's why we created the Passive Income Operating System, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to whatswhatwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared though for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30 second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. I want to, if it's okay, I, I didn't know we may go here, but just maybe think about this. Somebody's listening to this and maybe thinking about that. Like they have these ideas. I got one friend in mind. He would come to me monthly when we used to have our office and sit down and we'd, we'd chat over usually a meal and he'd have a new business idea. So I'm just thinking about people like that, that are just always coming up with ideas. How, how did you guys narrow the field to say, okay, here's how we take this idea and actually make it a business plan. And ultimately you created a major business from it. Like what advice do you give to that person who's out there creating ideas? I mean, let's just say the idea guy, for instance. Just yeah, as for instance. Yeah, just to, just as a for instance. Um, I mean, the first thing I'd say is if I knew all the risks that I was getting into, uh, first thing I would say is I knew I was getting into many risks and one of them was leave, you know, leaving a hard fought job. But one of the things was I'm 23 at the time. Like if, you know, if if S hits the fan, like it's OK, I'm I'm pretty young. So I didn't have a didn't have a wife, didn't have kids, didn't have a dog. Um, so if, if stuff went sideways, I could go grovel to some business schools and hopefully they'd let me in. So the first thing I'd say is like, you got to put in context where you are. The second thing I'd say is if I knew all the, you know, all the potential failure points we, we would have over time for literally creating a business with no template out of scratch. Um, I, I don't think I would do it again. I think the way I would go about it today is very different from what I would do then, but how we went about it was, you know, we were just on a mission to create something. So it started, our why was so big that we're going to create something. We're going to become entrepreneurs. We're going to find out what that thing is. And I think that drive was really hard, you know, really, really big for us to, to figure that what that thing would become was. Um, and that was, and then the other part of like, how would we decide to actually quit and, and do this thing? We ran it by, trusted friends and confidants, you know, we put our, our ideas on paper. And like I said, the first 14 or 15 of them, people looked at us like we had, you know, seven heads and, you know, didn't speak the same language. Um, and then the, the one that we finally ended up leaving for the, the DIY 
home security startup that would become Frontpoint. We were running it by trusted old professors, you know, basically anyone except for like one or two people we really trusted within our, you know, within Goldman. And uh, we kept getting like, hey, this is a really good idea. So it was that bouncing it off of others. And in that process, there were great ideas that, that were fed back to us of, had you thought about this? Had you thought about this? No, we didn't, but that would make this better. So it was, it was just a process of being really thorough and diligent and making sure we'd thought through everything from top to bottom before we, you know, we, once you push the button on exiting the job, you know, there's no one pushing it. So we had to make sure once we pushed it, we were, you know, we'd mitigated as much risk as we could. So I'd say to that person who's out there listening, you know, make sure you know, if you're quitting to start something, uh, I'll, I'll give a second piece of advice for what I would do different now that I've been through it. But if you're starting something, you know, do as much, as much research as you can. And there are ways to start things today that are risk mitigated such that you don't have to actually leave your job. So we, we took the, you know, the crazy risk and, you know, uh, decided to build the parachute as we were, we were jumping out of the plane, so to speak. Um, but there are ways to do it today where, Maybe you can start it without, without you know, putting yourself at at such risk. And maybe for you, the right the right approach is like, you know, burn the boats and and go right in. That was our approach. It worked out, but like I said, uh, there were probably hundred different times and points over the the tenure that it might not have. So, what's the piece of advice that you'd give now that you said that no, knowing what you know now, what is that? There's somebody out there. Um, you should try and get her on your podcast. I don't know her personally, uh, but I've I've followed her a little bit over the course of the past you know couple of years. I think I was even following her as she was first getting her start. Um, Cody Sanchez, and she's got the the uh, the belief that you shouldn't build it; you should buy it. So you should take a, an existing business that's already out there. You know, there are ten thousand um, baby boomers a day who are retiring these days. And you should take a business that already has profits. And in many cases, you don't even have to put your own, you know, your own money or very much of it down and you can build on somebody else's legacy that's already started. And that's a, you know, as I think about investing, I always think with the, the risk mindset first, as you're thinking about starting a business, there's all these passions, but at the end of the day, there's also, you know, a financial consideration and it's an investment. And one of the best ways to, to really mitigate that is to, to buy something that already works and already exists. So uh, her model is you buy things for you know, anywhere from one to three times cash flow, and you're able to take a business and build it from there. I've never actually done this. I, I feel like every every time I've done something, I've I've found a way to to do it the hard way. So even as I'm following this advice, you know, put my own little spin on it. But the advice I'd give to to many people out there is you know look her up, Cody Sanchez unconventional acquisitions. I'm certainly not getting paid for this, but I think it's a a, uh, a great model to follow for those that are aspiring to be entrepreneurs. It just lowers the risk profile massively. You know, you, you take the, what we started and we, we created a template for something that didn't exist, you know, from scratch. Like it has n number of ways to Sunday to fail. You take something that already exists and you can verify, okay, well, I can buy this business that has a million or 2 million or 3 million of profits. And, you know, I know all I have to do is not screw it up. I don't have to create the thing, the darn thing from scratch. That's a great point. Now, I want to 
I want to dive a little bit further from the point where you started it. It obviously was successful. Finish the the rest of that story from how did you know when it was time to sell? How did you know that there was an exit that you you could take advantage of? And then maybe we can get on from there where what happened after that? Sure. So we were growing extremely quickly. So ultimate revenue at the time we sold was about 125 million. Um, we had about 600 employees at our peak and we, we'd been going really hard at it for, you know, about a decade. And we looked at each other and said, you know, is this what we want to be doing today? And is this what we want to be doing for the next, you know, five, 10, 15 years? And the answer ultimately became no, like we'd gotten to a point where we'd ridden it, um, certainly not as far as we could have ridden it, but we'd ridden it to a place where you know, the, the passion for other things was there. And when you give something your all for, you know, for 15 years and you're, you're working the same sort of hours that we worked at, at the beginning of our career for five, six, seven, eight years straight, you say there's, there's more to life to this than another five, six, seven, eight years trying to chase the adding another zero to what already was a pretty big number. So I actually took a, I'd taken a 90 day ended up getting cut a little bit short. It was more like 75, 75 days sabbatical. My co-founder said, all right, I got things from here. Um, you, you know, go enjoy your sabbatical. And I came back from that sabbatical. And the first, you know, the first question he asked was, Hey, do you want to sell? And I said, yes. And then got on a path to selling. And that was kind of as simple and as easy as that. Uh, Joey, I may have to extend my sabbatical for June. <laughs> Sounds like I've under, there's I've under there's not more than 30 days in June. So, um, yeah, we can't extend. <laughs> All right. So, Aaron, I, I, I want to kind of move on because there's some parts of your story that, it's, again, continues to fit, right? Some people say, hey, how do I build something? You, you, you shared with how you built something, how you built something big and then sold it. But then I don't think people have a vision for what's on the other side of that. Like, once you do that, do you go on an extended sabbatical and you just never come back? Is what does it look like after selling a large company? Talk, walk us through the last couple of years for you. Sure. I mean, um, I mean, the first first couple of years, you got the ex existential crisis, uh, and then uh, after after you check that off your bucket list, uh, you you can really figure out what you want to do. I'd say, you know, life on the other side. Uh, has been more interesting and more just open questions than I thought. And I'm sure I'm sure you could ask 100 people who sold you know, businesses that they gave their their heart and souls to for a decade, and they'd all have they'd all have different stories. Uh, I don't really know. You know, I had a I had some preconceived notions for what I'd do. You know, take some time off, and then uh, my my desire was to go build again. Uh, my co-founder had a different, you know, his path is different. Uh, third co-founder's path is different. So everybody's, everybody's path is a little bit different, but I can just speak to, to mine. Mine was, you know, you, you wake up and you sell and then the next day it's like, okay, well, I'm not doing this anymore. And my path was, you know, not, not being operationally involved on a day in and day out basis. We had a you know, CEO that we had hired in our company before we, we had exited. So we, we planned this such that we weren't going to you know, have to be involved running the thing for private equity for the next five years. So we, 
we'd carefully plan that part, but the part we didn't plan was like, literally, what do you do the next day? I pretty quickly dove into becoming, you know, essentially starting a family office and becoming an investor. That, that was my path. And as I look back on it, I think the right answer would have been just take a year and go spend time in a monastery, go spend, you know, go travel and explore for a little while. My, my path was, you know, pretty quickly getting right back to it. And in doing that, it took me a little bit of, of time to figure out what do I actually want to be? Okay. Well, I'm, I'm starting this investment firm um, in a sense. What does that even mean? What am I going to focus on? All, all things that I had to like, like at the beginning of front point, navigate through, come up against the obstacle, figure it out, figure out, you know, don't like, don't like investing in cannabis deals. That's for darn sure. Um, you know, like investing in land subdivides, that's for darn sure. Uh, like investing in small businesses. So all, all those sorts of things. Uh, I wish I had a better answer for you, but it's, it was a little bit, you know, I know the general direction I'm going and figure it out as, as we go, which was very different from front point Our we had a five-year plan and a goal, and that was a pretty strong driving force. You know, this time around, it's been a little bit more of let the path unfold as, uh, as it, as it evolves. Talk a little bit about that transition going from, like you said, having a known entity and structure and goal and plan to now becoming an investor. What were some things that have helped you along that path to become the best investor? Cause it's not like, I mean, I, I, I'm assuming this, but if you were so laser focused in on your business, there really wasn't a whole lot of time to be thinking about other things to invest in. Like, and so sure. overnight you're like, oh, well, there's my, you know, the world's my oyster. What do I do now? What are some, maybe some tips, some things that you've done and, and learned some resources that people can also take away, become a better investor? Sure. I, I'd say some of the things that most of the things I've learned have really been through experience learning from others and learning from my own mistakes more than successes. What's really helped me be a successful entrepreneur is thinking about risk first. So the investor DNA I have, I want to scale things. I always want to take things to a, a big degree, whatever I'm starting. I don't want to do if I'm not going to get involved And that, you know, that may end up being just a, a you know, short-term rental that I've done a couple of and decide, okay, well, you know, maybe I don't want to grow this thing to 500, you know, short-term rental units. Maybe, maybe I want to actually sell the, you know, the three or four or five or 10 or whatever, whatever that I've got and focus over here. Um, but it, it's always about, for me, having the risk mindset first. It's first return of capital before it's ever return on capital. And you know, have learned that you know, playing in very early on after, after Front Point, playing in a couple of places that I thought I you know, had a better understanding of than I actually did. Those lessons can be hard, but fortunately, if you take them to heart, you, you become a better investor for it. And what's helped me is you know, a couple things. I, I have to be pretty, you know, pretty damn sure that I'm going to get hundred percent of my principal back. There's, there's certainly risk in all investing, but I'm looking for in almost all scenarios, making sure that I'm going to get the capital back. And for me, since I've been 
somebody who's been through all life stages of a, a business, who's also been around you know, financing these businesses early in my career. You know, I've, I've got a pretty good sense of, of what to look for, but my, you know, my, my advantage is knowing more where the potential pitfalls are and where the, where the, the couple levers that we can turn and really, you know, take things to, to go from here. So I would synthesize those down to you know, making sure I'm going to get my principal back on everything and, you know, using the, the entrepreneurial inside and out, knowing of how businesses work as my cheat code for taking things from what they exist today to, you know, two, three, four X multiples of, of what they are in you know, a couple of years time, you know, a couple months to a couple of years time. I don't know if that, that answered your question or if there's deeper, um, I should actually sit down and, and write down my, my investment principles, but I go back, I always go back to the greats like Warren Buffett. Um, you know, his, he focuses on things that fundamentally have value. And I focus on, you know, make sure you're not going to lose money. Make sure you understand the business and what you're investing in. And if you can explain it and you can, you can see it and you can really, you know, you can verify it for yourself and you can distill it down for somebody else and you enjoy it. You know, those are, those are uh, good recipes for success. And I'd say the last one is really enjoying who you're working with, you know, being, being involved for me, business is a, is a lot of fun and it's a game and, you know, some people like playing sports and following, following hockey. I love following, you know, the, the Excel spreadsheets and the, you know, watching the numbers go up, up and to the right on, on the charts. Uh, but a, a huge part of that is also really, really enjoying the people you're working with. And without that, you know, it's no fun and without fun, I don't want to be involved. People may be wondering, hey, why does a guy like Aaron, who's obviously had a lot of success in the business world and investing world, why does he join a passive income mastermind? How would you answer that for them? I think it started with with a call with you guys. December of 2020, Sharon, who I got to know well, connected me with you guys. And the first call, I was like, these guys are pretty fun. I want to hang around. I want to hang around these guys some more. And I got to know JD, who's a coach at at Wealth Without Wall Street, and he was pretty cool. So, you know, and then uh, heard that you guys were starting up this passive income mastermind. So it it was really just about for me. The first thing was I was drawn to it by the people in the community, and I was also really excited about the stuff that you guys were doing. Um, and thought, you know, I don't know what this thing's going to be about, but they're getting together, so I'm going to go to the going to go to the offsite and just hang out with some friends, and then from there, you know. Didn't know what would become of it, but decided to join. And there's been all sorts of interesting people that I've been involved with. I've done deals with a ton of people inside the community. Got involved because of the people, and I stayed involved because of the people and the opportunities that have unfolded from those just very organic conversations, whether it's the the Zoom meetups we're doing or the the amazing offsites you guys put on. And you know, the the fun keeps going. So I love that. Well, man, I'm grateful for your time. Know that you're you're here uh, just sharing your story. People are getting to, to learn from your experiences. But if somebody did want to connect with you, wanted to to maybe have a deeper, have their own golden ticket, if you will, <laughs> connection with Aaron, where would you send them? What would you tell them? Oh, man, golden ticket. Well, if we're giving out golden tickets, um, you know, my, my Instagram is uh, under construction, uh, a.k.a. It doesn't get uh, posts too often, at least in the past. I'm going to try and change that. But um, I still respond to 
almost every DM that's coming through on Instagram. So I'm at a shoemaker. That's a S H U M A K E R at Instagram. Um, you know, it's a if you DM me, I'll, I'll engage and whether it's, you know, interested in hearing about land club or house club or any of the clubs hit me up. Um, and you know, maybe some, uh, some content will start showing up there with more frequency too. It's so great. Now tell, tell me what's on the horizon for Aaron Shoemaker. What, what's, what's, if you're looking in the future, five, 10 years from now, what's ultimately your, your path going to look like? Sure. So I, I started, um, this, uh, you know, family office that's called Q9 Ventures. And we, we invest in a couple of different asset classes. We buy and build small businesses. So we've got a, you know, a series of property restoration businesses as an example that we're, we're building. Um, we've got a real estate investing arm, uh, that's focused on, you know, all the, you guys love land. Uh, and I think I love land because you guys love land. I got to, to learn that, you know, the, the amazing secret that's behind the, the veil on how incredible, uh, land subdivides and just, you know, playing with all things land is. So we've, we've started to do land subdivides, um, you know, land, land buy and holds. Uh, and then on the real estate side, building a portfolio uh, of single family, you know, short-term rentals that that's currently on, on pause, but we've done, I think we flipped like a couple hundred houses over the course of the last 18 months. Uh, so we're, we're pretty active in, um, you know, various elements of real estate. So the future, you know, just building, building out the, the investment vehicle, uh, some, you know, we're, we're starting to do a very select number of deals with, with friends and family. I thought, you know, it'd always just be my own internal capital, but I've realized it's a lot more fun to do things together with others and to you know, help other people create their financial dreams than just to do it for myself. So I don't know what will become of it, but things in and around, uh, small businesses, real estate, and, you know, things that have a, a great risk adjusted return. Man, I love that. Thank you also for, for mentioning. I mean, I, I think so oftentimes people think we have to invest our own money, but that is where we get very selfish, right? Other people's money is an accelerator. It's an accelerator for them. It's an accelerator for us. And, and whenever you're doing all the hard work, you're, you're becoming a better investor. Why not bring other people along, right? Why not bring people who just won't take the time but yet people that you would love to to help and share. So Aaron, man, thank you so much for coming on. Such a pleasure having you, bro. Thank, thanks, Russ. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Joey. Uh, it's It's been a, a blast and keep being without Wall Street. That's right. Well, thank you for listening uh, to this episode. If you found value, make sure you take time to rate and review the show. Uh, share it with somebody else, right, who may um, relate to Aaron's story and, and be inspired to not only maybe build something, or go buy something instead of build something, as he said. And there's episodes. We don't have Cody yet, Aaron. We're, we're going to work. We're working on that. Uh, but we do have um, the New Zealand Cody. Her name is Sophie Howard. She's coming up really soon on the podcast. If you haven't already heard that episode, make sure you tune into that one because that is a really cool way to buy businesses online. And she's teaching that same model. As always, have an amazing day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms. 
in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.